Are y'all on Patreon.com yet? We hope you are, because if so, you already know about all of the things that Truth Table offers to our patrons. Things like extended interviews, kind of behind the podcast, especially getting to know some of our guests. We have exclusive content from Truth Table Live, and we give discounts. And before other people find out about our specials, you'll hear about them. So go on over to patreon.com slash truthstable and sign up to become a monthly supporter today. Hey y'all, it's Michelle. Time for another Truth Table Classroom. I am so excited to share a glimpse of the local healing and justice ministries on the ground here in St. Louis, my hometown. Since the Ferguson uprisings sparked after the murder of Michael Brown Jr., many people of faith have committed to radicalizing our worship spaces for the sake of preaching a gospel more faithful to the person and politics of Jesus. I hope that you enjoy this poetic reflection on Psalm 69, which I presented at a citywide worship night focused on justice, lament, protest, and the power of God, the power that brings all power to the people. I've been reading Psalm 69. I've been reading that because there's all of us located in it. We're located in a space and time that is, in fact, a new equation. But the truth about the spirit that joins us together is that there is no such space or time that the spirit has not been. So on your cell phone, in your laptop, maybe you actually still carry a paper Bible. Will you turn to Psalm 69 with me? Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord is forever. I'm worn out, the psalmist says in verse 3. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. My eyes fail looking for my God. Oh, where have we searched? Verse four, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore, what's it say? What I did not steal. Are you forced to restore what you didn't steal? Do you feel the generations of forced restoration that you carry with you who tremble in fatigue even now. The psalmist says, you, God, you know my folly. You know my guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. The beautiful and interesting thing about the psalm is that at the very top right below, it's number and location in the book. It's a direction very specifically about music. 
It gives the tune, if you're reading a particular version, the tune of lilies. Very specifically, this psalm of David, the king, one you would think is not accustomed to, as we have seen, addressing, acknowledging, or even being aware of his folly, as is our king in this country today. This is a king who confesses his folly. How do you know a good king? Trust me. Every good king, unless he's King Jesus, is probably going to have a terrible affair. Every good king, unless he's King Jesus, is probably going to have something to confess about greed. Every good king, unless he's King Jesus, will be tempted to erect a building and slap his name on it. Trust me, you know a good king, not according to his perfection, but by his willingness to confess his folly. David was not a wonderful king. You know what happened to him? The prophet came to him and said, yeah, the Lord knows you sleeping with that woman. Yeah, G- yeah, yeah. Jehovah knows. Yahweh knows. And you get to keep it a secret. And you get to tell your commander of the armies to murder a man, to pull back and stop protecting someone to cover your sins. You get to have somebody else's blood shed to cover your iniquities. But God knows your iniquities, boo-boo, and he's coming for you, you. David was a good king because he knew the Lord knew his follies. And my friends, you are children of a perfect king. Not one who holds his perfection over you, but one who sweetly and mercifully invites you into union under covering of his perfection. The Lord don't want you to get shined up and clean and pretty to come sit at his table. The Lord is coming to you dirty, ugly, and smelling like the dead cat in the dumpster next to you and telling you that you are already beautiful. And then you will see the robes that he's brought to you. Then you will taste the sweet fruit that he has grown in his garden for you to partake. Then you will know, Lord, the Lord Almighty, those who hope in you will not be disgraced. Some of you today feel that in the journey to wokeness, you've become like verse eight says, a foreigner in your own family. You feel like you're a stranger to the rest of your mother's children. Perhaps some of you feel convinced that America has one or two things it should have done differently. Perhaps some of you woke up next to the person with whom you thought you were in love and realized could have done one or two things differently. Perhaps some of you walk into churches, into spaces where you ought to be welcomed and safe, and people look at you as if you should have done one or two things differently, namely change how you talk, change what you wear, change where you go at night, change the identity you have chosen to label yourself as. Some of us feel like strangers in a church family that calls itself family, yet we are foreigners there. What happens when you are an alien in your own house? The zeal to belong consumes you. And thus the insults of anyone who insults the image bearers of God become insults to God himself. Look at the boldness that David has further down in this psalm. 
verses 23 through 29. I told you before, I'm going to keep it short. I mean, I'm black and a woman, but, you know, let's just mess up some stereotypes. Is that all right tonight, Eddie? We're going to mess up some stereotypes. Watch me preach so short, you won't even know it was a sermon. It definitely isn't. Verse 23, may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. What you doing? Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Beloved, you ever read the Psalms because you mad? And you like, I need, I'm, I'm trying, I cursed in the presence of my mother a few days ago. I was waiting for the lightning strike because I feel quite sure that she's the embodiment of the third person in the Trinity. When your mama nickname is the Holy Ghost, you don't play. Don't play. We don't have time. We're running out of time to not curse before God. The urgency is now. We can't feel it for very particular reasons, uh, perhaps because we are the people surrounding those who call upon the Lord in search of disgracing them. Do you have an inability to relate to the psalmist here? It may be because you have not known the scorn, the disgrace, the need of deliverance. Those who are unaware of the need of their own deliverance find it easier to stand in the presence of people who are oppressed and decide that their only value is an oppression. Those who are unaware of their own deliverance find it easier to sit down, to give up, never to resist structures that might codify immorality into goodness and truth. When we are unaware of our need for it, we will never discern the taste of freedom. If you don't know you need to be free, baby, you will have no idea that your chains are actual chains. And so I wonder if the psalmist is inviting us not simply to suffer and rise above our suffering in our own power, but to recognize that it is our suffering that itself gives us access to the truth that sets us free. Oh, what a painful, painful realization when you know for a fact that the people who have gone before us who've suffered the most often have the most wisdom, that the people who've gone before us who have been the least quote-unquote educated, often turns out they were right. I don't know about asphibities and that thing you're supposed to wear around your neck when you have a cold that make you smell like the inside of somebody's dead body. I don't know about that one. But I do believe that the old wives' tales had some truth in them. I don't often believe in the power of the wisdom of those who are quote-unquote uneducated. I don't often believe in the power of the wisdom of those who are like David in verse 29, afflicted and in pain. I wonder if we don't trust the victim because we know that there are victims in our closets too. I wonder if the victims of police brutality must be proven innocent over and over and over again because each of us in some way has not dismantled our addiction to law and order.
I wonder if when hearts bleed, when bones break that we cannot see, when our spirits churn and are twisted within us, I wonder if we do not see the hidden wounds because we only accept the visible ones as actual hurt. I wonder if because we are so full and so convinced as a country, as a community, let it not be as a church, I wonder if we are so convinced of the way that discipleship should go. We are so certain of a particular lifestyle that people must lead. We know for a fact that unless you speak this way, have this much money, attend a particular school or school at all, your misfortune is your fault. I wonder what happens when we hear there's no clean water in Flint. What do we think first? I wonder what happens when we hear, well, I think she got that STD. What do we think first? I wonder what happens when we hear, oh, they just came out of the closet. What do we think first? I wonder, my friends, if we understand our own afflictions as equal to the pain, the afflictions, the suffering of others, then we might know what it truly means to be battered if only we were aware that we needed to be healed. Jesus came for the sick. You think you healed? You good? <laughs> he ain't here for you, boo-boo. But you're welcome to keep dancing and have communion with us. Don't take it in vain. The doctor is in for the sick. And those who have no need of him will discover, as mom said earlier, they believe they should be exalted and the Lord will cut them down. As for me, David says, I will praise my God. As for me, I will praise my God. Afflicted and in pain and praising my God. Misunderstood, despised, threatened, unsure whether or not you'll have a job one day to the next, and yet I will praise my God. Hungry, thirsty, tired, single, married, employed, unemployed, hate my job, love my job. I will praise my God. Unsure of the future or certain that it leads to certain death, I will praise my God. Surrounded as we are, my brothers and sisters, not simply by death at the hands of the state, but in a place in which we must continue to remind ourselves and each other that that's not what Jesus looks like. Surrounded as we are, my friends, by mountains of the hope that if we could only grasp it, yea, we walk through the valley of the shadow of foolishness and have every reason to fear for the evil that is real. It is only the presence of the one to whom we give our praise that will bring him to dwell among us. It is only the presence of the one to whom we offer everything we have that reminds you that you have anything because of God. My friends, Mother Harriet said, used to say something like, if you're scared, keep going. 
If you're hungry, keep going. And I feel sorry for I hate being hungry. The Lord's teaching, teaching me about it. If you want to taste freedom, you have to march on. If you want to taste freedom, you have to march on. And it may very well be that you in the midst of your unsurety, your uncertainty, in the midst of needing refreshment and wondering when the oasis will come in your desert, it may very well be that your body is being trained to know the taste of freedom when the Lord kisses the lips of liberty to yours. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing that when we know the truth, we will see it plainly and we will finally know that only the truth can set us free. Though we may feel deeply a need for deliverance, we know all too well that when we recognize the chains from which the Lord is freeing us, we can also see more plainly our brothers and sisters who bear oppression as well. So we're going to sing together. We're going to remember together the names of people who unwarranted, whose unwarranted suffering should never go away from us. I would encourage you to remember this phrase. I'm going to sing out. I'm going to march on. Later in the evening, we'll sing a song called Noyana. And Noyana is a song from the South African freedom movement that says, some of you think you should be exalted above others. That makes you evil. I mean, it was just putting it right out there. Some of you think you are God, but this is actually evil. What will you say? Will you come in peace? Will you go? And the word Noyana means because we're going with or without you. You ever wonder what real ambivalence without judgment feels like? Jesus had that. Woo, it's nice. Just to be like, yeah, I really, I really want you. I really want you to come. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you as many times. And sometimes he has to grab you, doesn't he? But to the broods of vipers that would lead his people astray, he had complete ambivalence. Looked at it, looked him in the eye and ate grain on the Sabbath. How you doing, Pharisee? Yeah, I just worked. Looked him in the eye and freed all of the slaves out of Egypt. How you doing, Pharaoh? Yeah, you've been punked. Looked him in the eye and said, Father, forgive these clowns. They have no idea the evil that they are using to exalt themselves over <laughs> the most powerful being. <laughs> and I mean, Jesus made the universe. He is the word in the flesh. My friends, your God is the word. And that word rests in you. So oddly enough, you can look police in a line in the eye. How you doing? Yeah, I, I ain't anybody out here trying to hurt your body. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> I'm not scared of your shield. Yeah, cool. Can you kill me? Yeah, probably my body. But I'm one with the spirit. He can never die. Jesus looked into the eyes of the people who cursed him. Loved them. 
hated their hate. And yet my friends had a complete ambivalence to the supremacist structures that tried to convince him that they were powerful. Oddly enough, and this cloth celebrates it, oddly enough, we have the same spirit that is completely ambivalent to the powers of this day that presume that they should exalt themselves over us. Funny how that happens. I am able to look the administration that regimes the mess out of us in the eye and say, I know who my king is. Cool, 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 cool. And thus we are able not only to be ambivalent to their foolishness, but to demand that they bring it to an end. Dr. King said, America must be born again. In order for that to happen, the structures of supremacist evil, racism, misogyny, and bigotry that founded this nation, in order for those things to happen, something has to die. You, my friends, if you know you must be born again, then it must be your desire to control, your desire to have everything right, your desire to be sure of where someone else is coming from, your desire to label and name and rename everyone around you, your desire to hide your sin, your desire to liberate your own self without considering the oppression of someone else, your desire to be God is what's killing the people who serve him. And so the church must sing out and march on. The church must stand up and face the truth that if we are to truly be ambivalent to the powers that codify immorality, and I am talking about the unrighteousness of oppressing other people, if we are to codify immorality and unrighteousness into good church life, then we must admit we're an empire too. If we are to march on behind our savior, we must begin to say, there is only one king and there is no other power that can control, not just me individually because I have like a mission thing and I love being in the movement. So that's just like my individual one kind of, that's cool, yeah, she likes to march. That's what you do as an individual. No, I, I dare say that protest is our spiritual formation. I dare say that if we are to be the body of Jesus on earth, we must begin to do everything that his body did. The beauty of the gospel is that when you take and eat his body in a minute, you'll realize that he gave up the glory of living, of doing, of continuing on into old age so that you would have the assurance that you will never be destroyed from doing his work. And so, my friends, we boldly rest. And so, my friends, we boldly remember and we boldly speak the names of all of the people that should never 